A recent Lifeway State of Theology study found that most Americans believe and accept the the biblical accounts of Jesus' resurrection. But they aren't sure why it matters. They aren't sure why it matters for their day-to-day lives. This is a great question for us to wrestle with on a Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection. And in fact, every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection here at Fishkill Baptist Church. That's why we worship on Sundays, the Lord's Day. It's when he rose from the, from the dead. If there was a resurrection, so what? What difference does it make? How does the fact that Jesus rose from the dead have the power to radically transform how you live your day-to-day lives? The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church to impress upon them the fact that Jesus' resurrection from the dead changes everything. It changes the way we look at the world, the way we look at ourselves, the way we look at our neighbors. The way we look at all of history, it gives us a real and living hope that changes the way we look at everything. But don't take my word for it. Let's turn to the scriptures now to see this. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read for us aloud uh, verses 12 through 20. If you need to use a pew Bible, you'll find today's text on page 1142. Once you're there, I invite you to stand with me as I read out of reverence for God's word. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is God's word. Father, your word is perfect. It revives the soul and makes the wise simple. Send your Holy Spirit now to open our eyes and give us simple people divine wisdom. Revive us this morning with a living hope as we seek the risen Christ in your word. We pray these things in his name. Amen. You can be seated. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a hard truth. There's no middle ground. Either he rose from the dead or he didn't. And the implications are just as hard. If Christ rose from the dead, then he is God. And every single bit of Christianity is true. 
If he didn't rise from the dead, then Christianity is an absolute waste of time. And we are fools for even being here this morning. This is Paul's point. But more than this, Paul argues that the resurrection gives us hope that completely changes our lives. It's a hope that gives us a joyful expectation for the future based on true events from the past, which changes everything about our present. These are our points this morning. Let's look at Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 15 to see these truths. So first, a joyful expectation for the future. Look with me at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. and You are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, our faith in Christ is futile, Paul says. Why? He argues that if, if Christ has not been raised, then we have no hope of being raised ourselves. We have no future. And more than that, we, are, we, we still bear the weight of our sins if Christ is not raised. Because if he's not raised, then his work on the cross was insufficient. But if we really want to see what difference this makes in our lives, we need to turn this around. Because Paul is, of course, arguing for the positive by stating, making a negative statement. His, his point is this, that Christ is risen. Christ is risen. So if Christ is risen, then it means that instead of our faith being futile, our faith in the resurrection gives us a joyful hope for the future. And here's why. Because if Christ is raised, then we too will be raised one day. If we are united to him by faith. If death was not the end of Jesus, then neither will it be the end for us who trust in him as our Savior. Simply put, the resurrection is what guarantees that the cross was sufficient payment for our sin. It's what tells us that the work Jesus did to pay for our sins actually worked. That's what the resurrection does. It tells us that the payment was sufficient. It's tax season. I don't know if you're aware. Some of you are better than others at keeping your receipts. Some fear that the IRS may knock on your door and want to see proof that you paid enough. They want to be sure that you don't owe more. Well, if you've kept all your necessary receipts, then you go and you pull them out. and You say, here it is. Here's the proof. I owe nothing more. Be gone. In the same way, how do we know that Jesus paid it all for our sins? How do we know that when we stand before God one day, we will not be found to have insufficient funds? We know this because he paid our penalty. The wages of sin is death. And he is now alive again. Because Jesus paid all that was necessary and was found to be blameless himself. Death could not hold him. So you see, the resurrection is God's way of giving us a receipt and stamping across our lives, paid in full. Reuben Torrey, a great 19th century preacher, comments on verses 21 and 22 in our text this morning, which says, 
For by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. There's two men here. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Tori tells how he was part of a a mountain climbing expedition team. And while on the mountain, he watched another team. He observed this other team that was climbing a large cliff face. He witnessed the most incredible thing. Five men were tied to each other. The last man lost his footing. He fell off the cliff face from a great height. His weight then pulled the next man off. And the next man. All of them now hurtling down to what looks like a sure death. Well, the man at the top of the line noticed what was happening. He was the strongest climber of them all. With his strong arms, he took his pickaxe and swung it as deep into that mountain as he could possibly muster. And he held on with all his might, knowing what was about to come. And finally, it came. A horrible, violent, sickening snap. What happened was he was pulled by the weight of the other men. He actually held on. But as he did, the rope constricted around him and began to strangle him. And the rope cut into his sides and he began to bleed and his ribs began snapping. He held on. When it was all over, in an incredible feat, in in tremendous pain, he began to pull himself up with all his might and everyone who was tied to him. And one by one, each of the men below who had fallen began regaining their footing. Tori couldn't believe what he was seeing. And he made the connection from this story to verses 21 and 22 by saying that Adam was like that first man who fell off the cliff face. He was our first ancestor. And because he fell into sin, every generation after him was pulled down as well. We've all inherited his sin as a curse, and we've fallen too. Adam has pulled every single one of us down. There was only one man left who could save us. That last man on the line is like Jesus, who determined not only to die and to be crushed by the weight of all our sin, but that he could also raise everyone up who is united to him by faith and resurrection life. You see how a resurrection gives us such joyful expectation for the future? If Jesus is raised, then we don't have to wonder about our future because if we are united to Jesus by faith, then his victory over death is also our victory over death. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. And we can say with Paul in verses 55 to 57 of this chapter, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your, your victory? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our guarantee that death will not be the end of us, 
and that a better future awaits all those who are united to him by faith. This is why the resurrection is is the linchpin of the Christian faith and why Paul says in verse 3 that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is a matter of first importance. It's of first importance. And by God's grace, that's what's of first importance in this church. And may it always be so. Because if it isn't true, the Christian faith collapses like a house of cards. And every single one of us here is wasting our time. The skeptic might say, isn't, isn't this just all a bunch of pie in the sky, wishful thinking? How can we really know that there was a resurrection? How can we really believe that it happened? I mean, it's, it, it's contrary to the laws of science, right? Let's examine this in, in my next point. This hope is based on true historical events from the past. The Christian faith stands apart in this area from every other world religion and philosophy as the only one that can be supported by reliable historical evidence. First, understand that nearly all New Testament scholars, skeptic and believer alike, agree that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians. Not only that, but that it was likely written only 20 years after the events of the resurrection. This would be like someone today deciding to write uh, a factual accounting of the events of 9-11. Now with this in mind, look at, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Notice here that Paul not only gives his own eyewitness testimony to seeing the risen Jesus, but he adds that more than 500 people at one time saw Jesus alive after his crucifixion and burial. And this is a historic fact that, again, nearly all New Testament scholars agree with, skeptical or or believer alike. The fact that many people claimed to see Jesus alive again after his death. Now, skeptics have tried to explain this away by saying that Jesus' followers were just having a grief-induced hallucination, and they just thought that they saw him alive again. But ask any medical expert, and they will tell you that a shared group hallucination is a medical impossibility. It can't happen. But even still, consider the fact that when Jesus appeared to Paul, he was, on, he was going by his other name at that time, Saul, and he was on his way to persecute Christians and to put them in jail. So a grief-induced hallucination can't explain that encounter. Chuck Colson, who you might remember, is part of the Nixon administration, did jail time for his involvement in the Watergate scandal. He said that the Watergate scandal convinced him that the resurrection is true. 
Colson reasoned that if 500 people claim to see Jesus at the same time, there's only two real possibilities. One, either it was a wide-scale hoax or it was actually true. And Watergate convinced him that there's no way this could be a hoax because if a handful of the most powerful men in the world with all the resources at their disposal to cover up Watergate couldn't keep their mouths shut and their stories straight for very long, then there's no way 500 people are going to keep their stories straight and that someone's not going to break ranks at some point very soon. There's no way that many people could keep up a hoax of that scale. This is all the more compelling when you consider the fact that Christians were being persecuted for this claim. They were not gaining anything, humanly speaking, by holding fast to their claims. If anything, life was more difficult, and they had more to lose, by, worldly speaking anyway, by, by claiming this resurrection and, and, and not recounting. Now consider the fact that Paul wrote this letter, again, 20 years after the resurrection, Notice what he's doing here. He's, he's actually listing names of people who are still alive as he's writing this. He's saying, essentially, don't take my word for it. Ask Peter. Ask James. Ask any of the other apostles. They will tell you exactly what I'm telling you. So the Christian hope is a joyful expectation for the future based on true events from the past. And finally, this is a hope that changes everything about your present. How does belief in the resurrection change the way you live today? First, understand that the cross and the resurrection go together and each play a part in saving us from our sins. But it wasn't the death of Jesus that transformed the disciples. It wasn't Jesus' teaching or his miracles. It wasn't his birth that transformed their lives. It wasn't until Jesus was raised from the dead that they finally understood what it all meant and it transformed their lives. What were all the disciples doing after Jesus was crucified and laid in the tomb? They fled. They scattered in fear that they could be the next ones hanging on a cross. Get me away from this. Listen to how the Apostle John describes this Uh, The first time that Jesus appears to the disciples in John 20, he says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Before they saw the risen Jesus, they've locked themselves in a room, cowering in fear for the Jews. But seeing the risen Jesus... And knowing that the resurrection is true, made them fearless. And this is what we see as the church grew in the book of Acts. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus' followers couldn't keep their mouths shut, telling as many as they could about the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, even at great cost to their own well-being. We learn about Stephen and the first uh, the first Christian martyr in Acts 7. He's arrested, of course, for preaching about Jesus. And what does he do when he's arrested and questioned by the high priest? He keeps talking about Jesus. 
And when the council had finally had enough, they took him outside the city and they stoned him to death. And as the stones were hitting his body, you know what he did? He prayed to Jesus. He asked Jesus, Jesus, receive my spirit. And he asked them, he asked Jesus not to hold this sin against his murderers. Does this sound like a man who is afraid to die? (laughs) Absolutely not. Even as the stones are hitting him, making impact with with his body, he's not afraid to die. Absolutely not. Now, now look at how Paul argues the resurrection changes the way that he lived in verse 30 of our text this morning. He says he's in danger every hour. And every day he's as good as dead. And this is, this is a bit confusing, but he says he, he fought with beasts at Ephesus. It's not clear exactly what he meant by this, but it sounds dangerous. And that's the point. Because of the resurrection, he fearlessly and regularly finds himself in danger for preaching Christ. And all this because Christ is raised. And he knows the glorious future that awaits him. And then he says at the end of verse 32, If the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, there's no resurrection We'd be foolish not to pursue as much comfort and pleasure as possible in this life. Because that's all there is if there's no resurrection. Let's live it up. Today is all we've got. So if you believe in in the resurrection, you can't help but be changed and transformed by it. From fearful to fearless. Sadly, some of you here, even Christians, forget this too easily. We live safe lives, seeking to maximize our own comfort rather than take risks by sharing Jesus. I'm telling you, and you know this, opposition to Christians is growing in our world today. You could lose your job, your friends, your reputation for taking a stand for Christ in our world today. And if there's no resurrection, If you live like there's no resurrection, you'll come to church on Sunday, you'll pay lip service to Christ, but the rest of the week you'll keep your mouth shut and play it safe. Because practically speaking, you're living like there's no resurrection. But if you really do believe in the resurrection, it changes everything. You have a hope that makes you fearless. This hope gives you a freedom that doesn't care what the rest of the world thinks about your faith in Jesus because you know that this life is not all there is. No matter what people think of you or do to you, you know that your own resurrection awaits you. Finally, look at the end of chapter 15. Verse 58, Paul says, If there's a resurrection, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. In other words, the resurrection gives us a confidence to know that our lives lived for Christ are so rich with purpose and meaning that it makes us steadfast and immovable. 
We know that living for Christ means something, that our lives count for something bigger than ourselves. They count for eternity. This is a hope that lifts your head, keeps you going, even in adversity. Let me ask you this morning, do you have this hope? Do you have this hope? A joyful expectation for the future based on true events from the past, which changes everything about your future. The only way to have this hope is to be united to Christ by trusting his life, his death, and his resurrection to save you from your sin. Trust him as that man on the mountain who will never budge in his love for you. He's the only one who can save you from falling and raise you up with him to new life and to living hope. Trust Jesus to save you today. If something I've said about the Christian hope today has piqued your interest or caught your attention in any way, you'd like to know more, we have a a wonderful opportunity for you that begins next Sunday right here, 9.30 a.m., it's only a three-week course, videos, discussion, looking at the scriptures. It's called Hope Explored. There's an announcement about it in your bulletin with a, a QR code you can use to, to register for that. So if you're curious to learn more about the Christian hope, please join us for that next week. And after I pray in just a moment, we'll, we'll watch a brief video that explains more about what to expect from this Hope Explored course, then our choir will come and sing a final song before I send us out with a closing benediction. Join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that it is the most glorious receipt we could ever have. The promise, the guarantee that our sins have been paid in full, that you bore the cost for us. You picked up our tab. Father, we thank you that the resurrection makes us fearless, that we don't have to walk through this world cowering in fear of what others may think or do to us. But like the Apostle Paul and and the other uh, believers in the early church in Acts, we can can face opposition and hostility with, with peace confidence and boldness and assurance knowing that this life is not all there is there's more to live for we thank you Jesus for giving us purpose for our lives that is bigger than anything we could ever imagine on a cosmic level bigger than anything we could imagine Father I pray for anyone here today that does not have this hope for themselves May the Holy Spirit stir in their hearts even now in this moment to show them their need for you, that they may see your love for them and that they would give their lives to you, Jesus, receiving the forgiveness that only you can offer. God, help us to be bold as a people. Help us to open our mouths and to share Jesus with others liberally, not in fear, with boldness 
and, and as an overflow of our own living hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.